This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. You may be seated this evening. This is one fine looking church. I gotta let you know. Come on. Yeah, you should clap for that. You should clap for yourself. I had the privilege of meeting your pastors just uh, just a little bit over a year, maybe two years ago now, and uh, just had an immediate connection with them. And I want you to know that you are a very blessed church. You are. And maybe you got saved in this church, and maybe this is you know the only church you have ever known. Uh, not every church is like this, and you are blessed to be in this house. Come on. With pastors Randy and Cherie and just the family, and I was meeting some of the rest of the staff, and then I'm just looking around this evening, and uh, our church is very multicultural. My husband's Hispanic. I'm white, so we in and of ourselves are multicultural, and our church is, is just a reflection of that. And I have to tell you, I don't think I've ever been to a more multicultural church than our church until I came here tonight and was able to look, yeah, yeah. Because there's a nation right now that is highly charged in the area of racism. And the answer has never been skin. The answer is never about just understanding, but we should. The answer has always been a heart change. And only Jesus can do that. And we need more churches that reflect what heaven looks like. So that people can get a true understanding and a true picture of where the answer actually lies. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you open up your Bibles to Jeremiah 29? Uh, Thrilled to be here with you this evening. My husband and I are pastors in Las Vegas. We moved there 15 years ago now, started the church 13 years ago. We have three children. My oldest is 16, BJ Perez. He's very smart. He's very astute. My mother-in-law frequently likes to comment that he talks like a white person. I don't think that's a good thing. And um, he is, he's just uses big words sometimes and he's very verbal. Does anyone else have a son that is a verbal processor? Okay, because we're gonna have a little prayer meeting for all of us over here at the end of tonight because guys, that's a lot of work when your 16 year old's a verbal processor. And then I really thought I would have just like a Latin, you know, like sassy daughter. I thought she would just come out like running the world, you know. And uh, then God, I don't know, it just has a sense of humor. And he just gave me like just this sweet and she's calm and she's peaceful and she talks like this and she moves just gracefully. But don't let that fool you. She is very much in charge at our house. And so I have my sweet little daughter. She's 12 years old and uh, she's just a joy to me and she keeps me grounded and she also keeps me on time. Thank you, Jesus, for children that help you keep on time. And so I have these two, like, honest to goodness, they're really good kids. They're just good kids, you know. I have BJ, and he's just smart, and he's just proper, and he just comes out that way, you know. And then Bella, and she's just sweet. 
sweet and she's kind. And so God just really, you know, he was in heaven and he was looking at my life and he just thought, you know, I just, I just need to increase her prayer life. You know, I just like, I just need to help her. I just, you know, I just need to just, you know, keep her more dependent upon me. And so he gave me my son, Benaya. So Benaya was one of David, King David's mighty men in the Old Testament. And he was, yes, yes. And uh, he was the one that jumped into a pit on a snowy day and uh, killed a lion with his bare hands. So guys, I mean, I'm in for it. I named my child Benaya. One day, Benaya was talking to Bella. He's nine years old. And he said, Bella, there's just three things you need in life. And she goes, what, Benaya? He goes, you need a mansion, you need a jacuzzi, and you need a Beyonce. <laughs> Bella goes, Benaya, do you even know what a Beyonce is? He goes, nope, but I know you need one. <laughs> so you can pray for me. There's so many more stories from where that one comes from. He is, he is my spice of life. You know how when you like have too much Tabasco and your eyes start watering? Uh, yes. So he makes you laugh and he makes you cry, but life would not be nearly as much fun without Vanaya. Uh, I also have one of my best friends here. Veronica Norman is here. Thank you, Veronica, for, Veronica, for coming with me. You know, church isn't perfect. That might be a revelation for some of you right there. Like, that's all you needed. You're like, oh, it's not perfect. Yes, because as soon as there's people in the church, it's not perfect anymore. Uh, we all don't have to be best friends in the church. In fact, we all don't even have to like each other. But surely in this community of faith, God can put one or two incredible people in your life that you can do life with. Surely in this amazing church, God can just place some great people in your life, whether it's through groups or for dream team. I'm just going to encourage you. There is a friend and there is the friend that sticks closer than a brother in this house. And you just probably haven't met him yet, but they are here. And Veronica is one of those friends to me. And she has been with us through so many different chapters of our story. And I'm really grateful for her and grateful my kids get to grow up with her kids as well. So thank you so much, Veronica. All right. Do you have your Bibles open to Jeremiah 29? All right. Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to read out of the ESV translation this evening. This is my life's verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I like the way the Amplified Version says, it says, For I know the thoughts and plans I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts and plans for good, welfare, and peace, and not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. Can someone say hope in the final outcome? Amen. 
Uh, my husband and I, when we started the church, uh, life was going great. I grew up in a pastor's home. I don't, I don't even know anything besides just being in the ministry. I've loved the ministry. I've loved Jesus my whole life. Got married, and you know, it was a little bit crazy. We're both two really strong individuals. We get married, and we're fighting a lot. We go, we get some counseling. Thank you, Jesus. We work through that, and we start a church, and the church is going well, and and things seem to be happening there in Las Vegas. We go through a bit of an economic crisis. Some of you know what I mean, 2007, 2008. We start hitting a few roadblocks and some challenges in our walk. And uh, we, through different series of events, faced some lawsuits, faced bankruptcy. My father passed away, miscarriage. I almost died. I mean, we kind of went through it in about five years. We're, we felt like sometimes we were just kind of crawling to church. So... Tonight, I realize as I share some of my story, you might be sitting out there and think, you know, that's nothing. I'd rather, you know, switch stories with you. I'm not, I'm not comparing pain this evening, but I do hope to just illuminate a little bit um, some great things that God has planned for you. And the good thing about a few challenges in life is, baby, it ain't over till it's over. And God always wins in the end. Come on, that's why we get the word of God. It's so that we know no matter what, we still win. Amen? So we're getting through some of these kind of tough seasons in our life. And uh, and Vegas is starting to turn around. And this is just maybe about a year ago. And so we're starting to believe again. We'd been in the same building that we moved into thinking it would be a year kind of transitional building. And we found ourselves in that same building 10 years later. And we just kind of feel like you're just banging your head against a wall. Lord, what are we doing? What's going on here? And so a building came up for sale. We were very excited about it. Told the whole church, everybody's praying. You know, let's go to the building and pray for the building. And then that building didn't work out. So then another building comes available. It's even better than the first one. And, you know, we're declaring everything. You know, God's got something better than you can even imagine. And and that time, I mean, we took Jericho walks around that building. We're like, seven times. Let's just do 12, maybe 15. What's the significance of 21, Lord? I don't know. You know, we're just walking and praying and believing. And uh, it was a very long, drawn-out process. And we didn't get that building. Another building comes available. Uh, If we're honest, maybe not quite as good as that building was. Uh, we start pursuing it, and and uh, it's interesting. It happened to be a Kmart building my whole life. My dad was always praying for a Kmart building, and so there was like, I know, how ironic. He was always like, there's a blue light special, and I don't know. He would always get these crazy prophetic words considering the Kmart building. So I'm like, okay, Lord, maybe you're, maybe you're working, working something out here. I remember Benny coming to me in our room, and I'm sitting on the bed, and he says, Wendy, I mean, I know, I know that the church will pray and I know that the church will believe, but I just have to know more than, more than the church and more than the staff. I mean, do you really believe? Do you really have faith for this building? And I can remember sitting there and, you know, I've, I've grown up in this. I've been doing this a long time and sitting there at the bed and saying, babe, I believe. I have faith. You know, this little voice in my head, just kept saying, I'm just being realistic. He'd come to me a few days later. I just need to hear it again. I just need to hear it that you believe that you have faith for this building. And I'd be like, baby, I believe. I'm just being 
realistic in my head. And I found over the next few weeks as I was continuing in prayer and studying and and asking God, you know, God, is this the building? Is this what you have for us? That I kept felt like I was just hitting a wall. Have you ever got to that place where you just kind of feel like you're just hitting a wall spiritually? And I just went to the Lord. I said, okay, what's going on? I, I, I'm praying and I'm coming and I'm spending time with you, but something just doesn't feel right. I, I don't know. And uh, I felt like the Lord really encouraged me to just look up the word realistic. So I looked it up and, you know, I I was expecting it to just maybe be like this horrible word or this evil word. And it's not an evil word and it's not a horrible word. And as I was reading through the definitions of what being realistic was, something just jumped out from the page. And one of the definitions of being realistic was down to earth. And I realized in that moment... We live in a culture that espouses realism. I mean, we don't hold anything back anymore. If we're in line and we're irritated, we just tell somebody because we don't want to be fake, right? And so we just tell everybody like it is. Like, we don't know what discretion is anymore, you know? We don't like, you know, try to like be nice about it. We just tell them, you know? We think it's our prerogative and we're Americans and we're going to tell you what we think. And uh, I'm I'm not talking about being authentic. Please don't misunderstand me tonight that I'm asking you to be, you know, Mr. Mrs. Fake Christian and walking around. But I hope that I provoke your faith this evening. You know, there's a difference between faith and fake. Because Peter, sure enough, was walking on the water, folks. He was walking on the water. And that took faith. He wasn't faking it. He, this wasn't Chris Angel. This wasn't Las Vegas belief, you know, with lie in the middle. You don't know. No, this, this was legitimately, he was walking on the water by faith. But as he began to take his eyes and begin to look down, all of a sudden he began to falter. And we always get down on Peter. And my husband has a whole message on that. And it's really good because Peter's a good guy. I'm not, I'm not asking you to fake it, but I hope I provoke your faith that something rises up on the inside that says, you know what? I might see what's going on around me. This might be my reality right now, but I am so glad that I don't live by what I see. See, the opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is sight. So when we begin to live just by what we see and make decisions based on what reality is right now, we are taking out the supernatural of who our God is. We are not just a physical being. We are supernatural beings. And God just began to put his finger on it. And he just said, Wendy, no, no, you're thinking naturally. You're thinking realistically. You're thinking down to earth. You're thinking humanistically what you can do. But I am so much bigger. And I begin to look up scriptures about this. In Psalms, who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. How about this? Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is what? In heaven. Deuteronomy 11 alludes to the fact that we should have days of heaven on earth. Anyone who has gone through a challenge in their life realizes when the doctor says cancer, you don't need realistic. 
When the spouse says, I'm leaving, you don't need realistic. When the school calls and says, hey, we have a little drug issue with your kid. You need to get over here. You don't need realistic at that point. There is nothing down to earth that can sweep into that moment like a flood. You need the spirit of God to rise up on the inside of you and say, I know what the facts are, but I'm glad I don't live my life just by facts. I'm glad my life isn't just the sum of deductions of what's happened to me. And I thank you, God, that you have a vision, a destiny a purpose and you promise that you will even work all these things out together for my good I think God has equipped us to have days of heaven on earth to have his kingdom so established in our life Dr. Caroline Leaf in her book Switch on your brain. This is a paraphrase of what she says. Your thoughts form your attitude, which is your state of mind. It's your attitude, not your DNA, that determines much of your quality of life. Your thoughts have physiological and spiritual effect and transfer to your mental and emotional state. Listen, this is the way God says it in Deuteronomy 30. This commandment isn't too hard for you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. So you can do it. Therefore, choose life. We have a choice. We have a choice. We don't, have, we don't just have to live life. By every whim and every, you know, political storm and tossing and turning. We don't have to live that way. We can decide and make a choice and say, God, I'm not going to think this way anymore. I'm not going to believe this way anymore. I'm going to turn. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to declare war on a victim mentality. Listen, you can stay a victim and go to heaven. The problem is you're never going to get made well. If you stay a victim, you just get to stay there, rehearsing what's happened in life and why you didn't deserve it. We have to declare war first on the victim mentality of our minds and saying, God, I want to think your thoughts, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is actually speaking to a nation that is in exile. They're in, they've been, um, They've been rebellious and they've been disobedient and, and uh, they're in exile and captivity because of, you could really say because of their stubbornness. I mean, they kind of got themselves there. And yet in the middle of seemingly consequences that they kind of deserved for their bad attitudes, we just get a snapshot of the grace of God in the midst of it. And even in the old covenant, and here Jeremiah comes and he brings the word of the Lord. And he says, I know the thoughts and plans I have for you. Thoughts of good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, to give you hope in the final outcome. So the first thing we have to do, if we are going to live by faith. If we are going to live at the next level is we have to know his thoughts. 
It's like, oh, well, I know his thoughts and I read the Bible and I speak them. I know, but you have to begin to replace. When those negative thoughts come into your mind, see, it's happening again. See, you see what I mean? Your mama was this way. Your grandmama was this way. You're doing it just like they're doing it. You have to learn to say no, recognize those thoughts, take them captive, and then replace them with what the word of God says. Did you know that God thinks about you personally? He thinks about you. And God is never at any uncertainty about his mind. He never changes his mind. I know your wife changes her mind, but God doesn't change his mind. In fact, as a woman, we feel like it's our prerogative to change our mind. We just feel like we're keeping you, we're keeping the marriage fresh. We're keeping you guessing, you know, just when you thought you had us figured out, we change our mind. God never changes his mind about you. The gift and the calling are without repentance. He's not taking them away. That means when he knits you together in your mother's womb, it doesn't matter. I want you to hear this. It doesn't matter the reason, the how, or the why that there was conception on that moment and on that night. I don't care about the circumstances surrounding your birth or how you came into the world. All I care is that when you were in your mother's womb, the Lord began to form you and he began to think about you and he began to plan for you and he began to give you the personality you have and and the hair you have and and the crazy things about you and the super fun things about you and the really annoying things about you and he made you the way you are to fulfill a purpose and guess what that has never changed so we need to know his thoughts what does god think God thinks healing. God thinks a way of escape. God thinks peace. God thinks prosperity. God thinks beauty for ashes. God thinks the oil of joy for mourning. God thinks overcoming. He thinks winning. He thinks conquering. He thinks good, perfection, grace, hope, love, joy. All of these things. And we need to say, I'm going to make a choice to align my thoughts with God's thoughts. I, um, one thing you'll kind of get to know about me is that, um, I am a huge fan of a theme park that is about three and a half hours away from you here in Fresno. Um, I may or may not have MapQuest that just in case I would like to drive there tomorrow to see my mouse friends at Disneyland. I'm a huge Disney fan, and so this is like the take it or leave it part of the service. Like, this isn't Bible or anything, but I just think this is really fun. (laughs) I know. Pastor Randy said, just go for it. Just be yourself. I don't know. I don't know if he really knows. (laughs) He's going to have to come correct my Disney theology at the end of the night, okay? Listen, remember the story of Bambi? Now, I grew up in church. Some of you don't even know what you've been saved from. I grew up in church where you couldn't go to movies because you were going to hell if you went to movies, you know. We couldn't go to movies. We had to sneak downstairs with the Michael Jackson cassette and put it in the way you're making me feel. You know, we're dancing and we got in trouble because our parents found us. And, uh, and yeah, it was kind of like a little bit of a strict church. And so my grandma came to town and 
you know, she thought that was ridiculous because she was from California and, you know, we were from Oregon. And uh, so she came to town and she's like, no, we're going to go see a movie. We're going to go see Bambi. Now, just let me let you know something, okay? Bambi is a very traumatic movie for a child. <laughs> Bambi's mother dies. Pastor Randy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We were talking about camping and stuff before I came in. Anyway, not a camper. Just thought I'd get that out there as well. In the movie Bambi, some of you might remember it. Some of you are trying to block it. But uh, Bambi's just born and all the little animals from the forest are coming to meet Bambi. And remember Thumper? You know, like the big mouth bunny? Yeah. So, so there's Bambi and he's like a little wobbly and he's trying to stand. And so Thumper comes with all his brothers and sisters and they're all sitting around and they're like, this is the prince, the prince is here, yay. And everybody's singing in harmony. And, uh, and Thumper starts like looking at Bambi and Bambi's kind of wobbly. And Thumper's like, are you sure that's the prince? That doesn't look like a prince. He's kind of wobbly. Is he okay? What's going on? And then all of a sudden Thumper's sister says, Bambi, remember what mama said. Thumper kind of puts his head down and starts moving his foot like this. If you don't got nothing good to say. Oh, your mom said that to you too. Okay, so you ready for this? If you don't got nothing good to think, don't think nothing at all. Okay, girls. The men have been holding out on us for years. When you turn to your husband and you say, what you thinking? And he says, guys, he means nothing. Literally, nada. Nothing. Like, we got to go get ourselves one of those. Like, where do we do that? How do we plug that in? Like, do we attach it to our brains? Because we need to be able to go there sometimes. When we find ourselves in a spiral, when we find ourselves a little bit frustrated, when we find ourselves, you know, under attack, under a shadow, under the cloud, however you want to define it, however you want to say it, I don't care. You know when you find yourself there, you're feeling a little heavy, you're feeling a little down, you find yourself rehearsing the past, you find yourself pointing out everything that's wrong in your life, and you find yourself there. That's the time. If you don't got nothing good to think... Sometimes we just got to take a hold of our minds and say, no, stop, no more. I teach my kid that, kids this, and, and we laugh, and, you know, and it's kind of silly, and it's like, and it's just, you know, and it's just funny, but we, we say happy thoughts, and I don't think that's incongruent with who God is. Sometimes when they're five, six, seven years old and they're getting a little bit discouraged and you know which personality of your kid, you know, acts a certain way and has a propensity maybe towards this and you just kind of help them. And we used to start with BJ, we'd be like, come on, happy thoughts. Let's just think of them right now. And I'd always start with Disneyland. Like every time we were talking happy thoughts, he was like, Disneyland? Now it's my kid's bad thought, but. So first we need to know his thoughts. 
or I know the plans that I have, the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not for evil. Number two, be confident in his plan. Did you know that God cannot think evil against you? It would be inconsistent with his everlasting and unchanging love. Not only can he not think evil against you, not only does he want the very best for you, but he even gives us promises like in Romans 8, that he is going to work all of these things. Did you hear what I said? I said all of these things out together for your good. And you know what? I'm looking forward with an expectant heart. Because I have, I have faced some pain in my life and maybe you have faced some pain in your life and you're thinking, what good can come of that? I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't always understand. My dad went to heaven about seven years ago. I don't always understand. I still miss him today. I can't stand up here at this stage and give you all the reasons why, how and why God worked it out together for good. But I'll tell you one thing. I am more determined than ever to pray for people that have cancer and to see them healed in Jesus name. I am more willing to preach the gospel and to declare that he is working these things together for your good. He's a healer. He's a good God. He's a restorer. Oh, it's like fire in my bones sometimes saying, no, I don't always understand. And maybe you have an, I don't understand situation in your life, but we need to be confident in his plan. I was talking with a girlfriend of mine who after 20 years of marriage, a very abusive marriage, decided to finally get a divorce. And we're sitting in my house and after all the verbal, physical, psychological abuse that she faced, deciding to walk away after 20 years was hard and we're in my living room and we're talking and we're crying and we're praying and we're talking some more and We're just having a moment together and she's just sharing her heart and saying things like, I wouldn't wish this pain on my worst enemy and how hard it is. We got kind of to the end of the conversation and she looked up across the couch and she said, but you know what? God spoke to me. She goes, as painful as this is, because you know, when we're walking through pain, it's all encompassing. Just go stub your big toe and just see how all encompassing that pain is. When we're going through pain, it's all we see. I'm not diminishing. I'm not putting down what you might be walking through or what you have faced in your life. But here is this woman at the crux of her pain after all the abuse she suffered, finally just giving up and saying, I I don't know what to do. I've prayed all these years for him to get saved. He didn't get saved. I can't take it anymore. I have to go. And she sat across the couch from me and she goes, but I have to remember, this is only one area of my life. I have two beautiful boys that I want to give a great future to. I have a great mom and dad who supported me through this whole process. I have two brothers and sisters that love Jesus and love me and I've never been closer to them. And she goes, as hard as this is, I have to remember, it's just one area of my life. And we have to remember that too. We have to be reminded that this is one area of my life. It might hurt like hell right now, but God is still a miracle working God. He still has 
confident in his plan. I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope or to give you hope in the final outcome. And finally, as someone comes back to the keyboards, number three, expect with hope. The very definition of hope actually implies a period of waiting, which is kind of depressing because hope is such a happy word. But yet it implies that there might be a few things that we have to persevere through in order to obtain what we've hoped for. I was at a doctor's visit with my son. He was growing and he was having uh, some malformed ribs and we had to go into the doctor and the doctor um, prescribed a brace for him, which when you're a teenager, it's very embarrassing and he had to wear this brace and the doctor, you know, looked at him and she said, listen, if, if you wear this brace every night and you're really good at it, you know, maybe you can get this brace off in a year. She goes, but I've, I've even seen kids, if they're really, really good, like just a few months go by and then they're good and they only just have to wear it at night. But she's like, but you got to be, you know, really on top of it. And so we get in the car, we're driving home and he's upset and we go home and we kind of have a little pep talk and he starts wearing the brace and he's doing really good. And uh, then, I mean, it's like all the time he's got the brace on and he's just like hitting it hard. He's just like every time he's, he's got it on, he's doing what he's supposed to do. So we go for about a four-month checkup and uh, we're in the waiting room. And I'm like, this is so, so terrible. I'm like trying to be like the great woman of faith. And I'm like, now, BJ, you know, if she says that you have to wear the brace, we're not going to be disappointed. And he's like, mom, no, I've been praying. I've been praying over myself and I just know I'm healed. I just know, like, I've just, I just, I just have faith, mom. And I just believe. And I'm just like, oh, Jesus, you know, in my head, you know, trying to be realistic, you know, and I'm just struggling with these thoughts. And I'm like, but BJ, it will still be okay. And God is still good. Even if you have to wear the brace. And he's like, mom, mom, stop. He goes, I don't prepare for the worst. I expect the best. All of a sudden, I had to take a step back and say, that's right, son. We do. You know that doctor came in? She took one look at him, and she goes, well, "Can you? is it all right if I just bring some more people in here? And we're like, yeah, okay, you know. She brings her students, she brings the other doctors in, and she goes, I can't believe it. I've never seen someone like just change the bone structure this fast. I can't believe you did it. And she goes, come on, everybody. We're giving this guy a standing ovation and starts clapping her hands like that. And BJ is just like, and of course I'm crying, you know, but BJ's like, you know, all proud. And she was totally amazed that he had just recovered so quickly from what was going on in his chest. Psalm 33, 11 says, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations Isaiah 46, 10 and 11, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, I will bring about. You need to know your deliverance tonight is not based on your merit. 
It's not based on how many times you came to church, how much you read your Bible, how many hours you prayed. All of those things are wonderful things. They develop a deeper, beautiful relationship with the God that made you and created you. It allows you to lean more fully into his grace. But your deliverance has never been based on what you can and cannot do. It has always been based and bought at the cross of Jesus Christ. It has always been based upon his mercy and his goodness. He's working things out together for my good. One day I came home and my kids know, they know what they're supposed to do. And uh, they have chores around the house. And one of their chores is that they have to do the dishes. They have to, you know, it's really hard, you know, this day and age, they have to unload and load a dishwasher folks, I'm not talking like we're not Cinderella here. We don't have to like get the bucket from the well, you know, put lye soap that like eats skin off your body. Like they have to load dishes in the dishwasher. So I had come home from working that day and uh, they hadn't loaded the dishwasher. And so I'm usually the nice mom. Like, you know, I'm usually like the let's go to Starbucks and Target mom, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, yeah go to Disneyland for the day. You know, I'm usually like the nice mom. So when I get upset, they're like, oh, Jesus, you know, oh, Lord. And so sure enough, I came home and the dishes weren't done. And, oh, it just kind of set me off. And I say, kids, get over here, do the dishes. So they, they all get up and they're like, come over. And they're looking at the sink. And I'm like, you need to do the dishes. You didn't do the dishes. This is your job. And then honestly, you would have thought, I said, I want you to all go out right now and begin to plant corn and then reap that corn and then grind it up and to make your own homemade tortillas. You'd have thought I said that. They were like, oh, God, we're so tired. We can't do it. And I'm like, so I just say, you know what? This is classic mom and dad line, you know? We can do this the easy way or the hard way. But I'm going to tell you the end of the story. The end of the story is you're doing the dishes. So you choose. And they're like, okay, mom, we'll do the dishes. Don't tell dad. (laughs) You know, this journey with Jesus We can do this the easy way or the hard way. I've done it the hard way. I have. I've gotten through situations. I've gotten through a few circumstances. I've gotten to the other side and then looked back with amazement and thought, wow, God, I can't believe you did that. You worked it all out. It's better than I can even imagine. And then all of a sudden the guilt and condemnation sets in because of all those times that I didn't actually trust him. Remember those times when you're just mad at God? You're irritated, you're frustrated. You think that he's left you and he's not helping you and he's not at work in your life and you're so you're mad and irritated and blaming him and stomping off and not coming to church. Remember those times? We can do this the easy way or the hard way. The bottom line is, if it works, why wouldn't we do it? I got you if this didn't work. And this was like a crapshoot, and this was Vegas, 
and we just had odds and it was just like I don't know like I might have a good life I might have a bad life like the devil might you know just like be attacking me but Jesus might save me but I'm not sure but hey at least I'll squeak into heaven like I get it I get it how you might be a little apprehensive in putting your trust your hope and your faith in God but ladies and gentlemen it works or it doesn't he is who he says he is or he isn't anything at all either he is a restorer he is a redeemer he is the one that causes the impossible to become possible in our lives he is the one that takes something that was dead and brings it back to life either he is god or let's go find something else to believe in i believe he is who he says he is as the band just comes I want to pray for you. The end of your story isn't written. I know sometimes it feels like it has, but that's just a chapter. That's just a comma. That's just a semicolon. God still is finishing the story. If you're sitting here tonight, you're living, you're breathing, you're listening. That means God still has some things to do in your life. So we need to find out what he's thinking about you. We need to be able to come to him and be confident in that plan. And then even when it doesn't seem like it goes according to the way we wrote the script in our heads to say, no, I'm going to stay expecting with hope. Some of you tonight, even as I'm saying this, you have a fear of hope. The Bible even says hope deferred makes the heart sick. You have a fear of hope and you're not a bad person. You've just been really disappointed. There's maybe has been a lot of pain in your life. There's been a lot of challenges. There's been a lot of roadblocks. And you're here tonight and you've been disappointed. You've been taken advantage of. And you hear a message and you want to hope. But something in your heart is aching because of so many times maybe the hope being deferred. I believe that God wants to begin the healing process in your heart to believe again, to hope again, to have joy again, to look at the future and to dream again. Remember when you were a little kid, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And you name 500 million things. Oh, I want to be a Christian rapper and a fireman and a youth pastor. That's Benaya's famous line. I want to be a Christian rapper. I don't know why he said Christian in front of the rapper. I thought that was hilarious. I want to be a youth pastor and I want to be a fireman. And I can remember laughing, thinking, that's so silly. That's just a little boy having a dream. And then I was preaching at a youth conference and I'm about ready to make a point. 
It's a terrible point now. It's so embarrassing. Sometimes you preach things and then you're like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. This was one of those moments. It was a terrible, terrible point because I was going to kind of bring the point about how God, you know, hones your vision and helps you see clearly. So I was going to use the example of Benaiah as kind of an immature thought or idea of what God's going to do with your life. So I said that he wants to be a Christian rapper, a youth pastor, and a fireman. And a whole youth ministry in the back left corner stood up and started cheering. And I said, why are you guys cheering? And they yelled back, our youth pastor is our youth pastor, a fireman, and a Christian rapper. That was just free. That wasn't even in my notes. But I just thought that maybe you needed to hear that. You need to dream again. You need to believe again. You need to lift up your eyes. You need to see a further horizon. You need to. You need to. You need to see beyond the four walls. You need to see beyond your last name. You need to see beyond where you were born. You need to see beyond what high school you went to. You need to see beyond who your friends were. I know your Facebook friends are going to be like, who do you think you are? You think you're hot stuff now. Just say, I'm sorry. You know, I got work to do. God's got a plan for my life. He's got one for you too, if you ever want to discover it. But God has something great. There is greatness on the inside of you. So I want to pray for you. If you would just bow your heads just in this moment. And so that's you tonight. You want to take your thoughts captive. Maybe you have a fear of hoping again. Maybe it's, it's something's holding you back. Maybe it's the way you grew up. Maybe it's some family issues. Maybe... It's some pain. Maybe it's some disappointment. Maybe it didn't work out. Maybe you were even praying and it didn't work out the the way you thought that it should work out. But God just wants to restore you tonight. He wants to breathe hope and life into you tonight. This is supernatural. This is not natural. This is not realistic. We are not just adding up the events of your life and coming out with a certain sum. We are putting Jesus in the middle of your life. And now nothing is impossible. And all things have become new. And you need to dream again. You need to believe again. You need to hope again. If that's you. I want you just to lift up your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing. I just want to pray for you. I want to make sure I was preaching to the right people, preaching the right message and heard the voice of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You see every hand. Lord, you know exactly where each and every person is at. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you right now. Where the enemy has tried to come in to rob, to take away, to even take away just the understanding of who God is and his goodness and his grace and his love. And the enemy's tried to chip away at that thought of who God is in our minds. I pray like a flood right now, Holy Spirit, you would come. Just a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God and just begin to lift them up in Jesus' name. Anything that has come against their mind, 
any oppression, any cloud, any heaviness, any bad thoughts are spiraling down in Jesus' name. That is not from you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You give us rest. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. Restore some souls tonight, Lord. Mind, will, and emotions come into alignment right now. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, it dwells in you and it gives you life and it gives you hope and it gives you grace, the empowerment from the Holy Spirit from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Do what only you can do tonight. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength. Thank you, Lord. One more group of people I'd like to pray for before we move on. I realize this evening that many of you are plugged in and excited about this church and you serve tirelessly and give of your time and of your energy, but maybe there's one or two of you this evening that you came to church tonight. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you've been in church before, but you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you did at one time, but you know right now that you're not really walking that journey with him. Maybe you've never been to church before, and I'm talking about, you know, life, and maybe you can relate on some level, but then I'm talking about the goodness of God and having hope for your life, and you never heard Jesus like that before. Maybe you just heard, you know, the Ten Commandments and a lot of condemnation and you're like, wow, I could really have a relationship with him and he really loves me. Yes, he loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. I would hate to close any worship experience without giving an opportunity if there is anyone in here that needs to begin a journey with Jesus or needs to just rekindle and restart that journey with him. It would be such a travesty to walk out tonight and not give you an opportunity to begin that relationship. I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I just want you to slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. This is just a time between you and God. But it's just a time to say, you know what? Line in the sand. Life is changing. I'm beginning that journey with Jesus or starting it again. One, you know who you are. This is your night. This isn't by accident. We all got together just to celebrate you. Just rekindling and renewing or starting that relationship with Jesus. Two, all the Christians in this room are praying and believing. This is your night. Three, I just want you to lift up your hand right where you are. If that's you, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus or rekindle that relationship with Jesus tonight. Thank you. There's hands all over the place. Come on. Can we just say a huge thank you to God? Hey, there's nothing magical about raising your hand. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you can pray this prayer. And if you believe it, you're going to begin that journey with Jesus. So let's all of us help these wonderful people that have decided to begin that journey with Jesus. Let's help them say this all together. Heavenly Father, I turn and put my trust in Jesus Christ. I receive forgiveness of sins. I receive salvation. Holy Spirit. Come on in. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, 
please visit celebrationchurch.cc.